I'm really grateful for the, the uh, sufficiency of the Word of God and the opportunity we have to be able to come together today and be encouraged by it and to be uh, challenged to continue to live faithfully for Jesus Christ. And without a doubt, we have days uh, where things just don't seem to go quite our way, don't we? Uh, you know, and, and I think about Valentine's Day coming up, and guys, we've got to plan and prepare so that uh, that day is not that day, amen? Because it'd be a terrible day to have one of, those, one, of the, one of these days that you're talking about where everything, nothing seems to go right happen on Valentine's Day. Uh, as many women will tell you, you know, it doesn't matter what you get me for Valentine's Day until Valentine's Day shows up, and then it does matter. All right, y'all are very uncomfortably laughing because you don't want your spouse to know. So what is love? And we think about this, and we, we think about love, and we think about all the things that are associated with it. And Ephesians 5.25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And we consider that, and we think, Oh, Brother John, that's a great reminder today. We've got to love one another. Well, I'm not preaching on love. But I am going to preach about an aspect of it. But before we do, I think I've got to share these with you. From, they're a group of uh, kids from ages four to about eight, shared with us what their perspective of love was. This is a group of kids from California. They said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. That was Rebecca, age eight. Billy, age four, said, when somebody loves you, the way, you uh, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Isn't that sweet? Consider that. I, you, know, you know people love you because your name is safe in their mouth. What a great blessing. Chrissy, uh, Chrissy, age six, said, Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them giving you, give you any of theirs. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she's been an In-N-Out burger a few times. Terry, age four, said this, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Amen. Isn't that sweet? Obviously, their parents have been tired and given them lots of love in that direction, so that's sweet. Danny, age eight, said, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. <laughs> that's good. I'm sure that was her intention. <laughs> Nika, age six, said, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. That's deep right there for a six-year-old. That's deep for a 35-year-old or whatever it is. Noella, age seven, said, Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. <laughs> That's good. Tommy, age six, said, Love is like an old woman and a little old man who are still friends even though they know each other so well. <laughs> amen, amen. Claire, age six, says, My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anybody, anyone else kissing me uh, to sleep at night. <laughs> Elaine, age five, said, Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Amen. <laughs> and this is probably my favorite one. Jessica, age eight, said this. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, mean it you should say it a lot. People forget. You know, um, we think about Valentine's Day and we get all uh, sappy sometimes, or may maybe you're not the sappy type, that's all right, I am. Uh, but, you know, we consider the Valentine's Day, and there's, there's a lot of things that about Valentine's Day that make it pretty special. There's sometimes that Valentine's Day is tough. But listen, think about love. 
We all want to be loved. We want to feel loved. We want to feel loved by our spouse or by those around us. Gary Chapman, in his book, he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And in the book, he talks about the different love languages. And he says that people receive love in different ways. He says words of affirmation, just being able to, for someone to say kind things about them makes them feel like they're loved. Or some, for some people, it's just being able to spend time, quality time with, with someone else. And that's important to them. You know, and just being able to spend time with, uh, with the other person uh, and it could be doing anything can make them feel important. How about gifts? We all like gifts, but some people are especially feel loved by the gifts that they receive. Acts of service. Man, I love it when, when people are willing to serve uh, and show their love in that uh, respect. And probably uh, for me, acts of service is a great one. Uh, physical touch is another one that people often need. Just a pat on the shoulder or a hug or something of those nature. These things speak volumes to the heart, and especially in a heart that is struggling with different things. And so as we consider these, I really want to just spend some time today. Look at Romans chapter 12 as we continue on our pr principles of relationships. And we see today in, in Romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 8, really one of these, which is this acts of service, because God's called us to have a servant's spirit. Man, a servant's spirit. And we, we consider all that we've studied so far in this, and, and we're reminded that this is a logical direction that God would go in the Word of God as He considers it. And so Acts chapter number 12, verse number 6, it says, Having these, uh, excuse me, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so in these three verses we see God's calling us to this spirit of service. Let's pray as we get started together. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for uh, the truths that are in these three verses. And as we go through the Word of God together concerning gifts and concerning uh, the ministry of service, God, I pray that you would inspire each of us, Lord, uh, to continue to serve one another. Lord, I, I'm reminded how, how often through the Scripture you remind us to serve and to love one another. May that be uh, the theme here as we desire to just give you praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. In our print series so far, we've covered the importance of having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. We understood the importance that without Him, there can be no right relationships. We talked about the spirit of humility. Man, we need, we need to be willing to say, you know what, it's not about me, it's about the Lord. It's not about uh, uh, me, it's about uh, people around me. And so having that spirit of humility, not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less, that type of mentality. And then the last two weeks, we really delved into the truth about God's Word concerning value, valuing other people because of, what God, uh, because of God creating them, because of what God has done for, the, for us. And so as we look at that, it flows naturally then, and that uh, when we see value in other people, that we should have a spirit of service toward one another, a servant spirit. And so and when we think about the servant spirit, there's three things that we're going to look at together and, and, and regarding this. And if, if you're going to have a servant spirit, it's got to start with, first off, a uh, willingness to serve in strength. Now, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, deals with strengths or, or what the Bible calls gifts. And different, different gifts are given to each of us. And we see that God has called us to use our gifts and use our strengths because they're given by grace. 
And so I think about the Holy Spirit with me for a minute. And when we uh, are saved, the Bible says that the moment we're saved, that we receive the Holy Spirit uh, to indwell within us. And so He is that abiding presence of God that goes with us everywhere we go. But also at the moment of salvation, He gives us certain gifts. And, you know, I don't know exactly uh, all of uh, exactly what your gift is, but I like what Dr. John Walbert says. He says, They are bestowed in grace, are entirely undeserved, and their power and operation is due to God alone. It is clear that the whole idea of spiritual gifts necessitates a supernatural work of God, quite distinct from any natural powers of man or even from any spiritual qualities which are universal among the saved. Spiritual gifts by their nature are individual and come from God. And we consider this today. Every Christian has something to, to bring to church and to use and minister to others. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me in verse number 7. He says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Each of us have an opportunity to use this gift. Each of us have this opportunity to be a blessing to one another. And so it doesn't matter what that gift may be. The Bible tells us and encourages us, use it for the glory and the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 11 says, But all these worketh that one and self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And listen, the Bible says that each of us has a different gift. You don't have the same one as me or I the same as you, but what I do know is that God has called me to use that gift in a special way. And so let's talk, talk about this. Called to serve in grace. Did you know in the, in the Corinthian church that they used the spiritual gifts as a, as a weapon almost? They were using it to be divisive in, the, in that early church. And so Paul called them out on it. And, and so 1 Corinthians 12 is probably the the greatest discourse on the, the gifts, but 1 Corinthians 13, he says some very powerful words. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 4, because as he gets there, he reminds them that the greatest thing is not all of these different gifts, but the greatest thing is to love like God has loved us. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, verse number 1, he says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, what does he say? I am... What does he say, church? Yeah. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me what? Nothing. Now read this one with me. Charity suffereth long. Oh, oh, let's try that again. Let's read it together. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. As we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we're very much, probably most of us in this room are familiar with God's uh, intention that this word charity means love, agape love, the greatest form of love that was ever offered. But as he, as he considers this, he says, listen, if I have all of these wonderful spiritual gifts, but I don't have love, I've missed the mark. And let me just encourage you today, as, as we consider our relationships around us, having a servant spirit means, you know what, I'm going to make sure that, that when I minister in my spiritual gift or in, in the way that God has called me to minister, that I'm going to do so with a spirit of love and grace. The same grace that we've received in Christ is the same grace we're called to minister in to others. Spiritual gifts in themselves do not make great Christians. 
their use in the proper way, motivated by divine love, which is the fruit of the Spirit, is effective and bears fruit to the glory of God. And so when we put it in perspective, God reminds us that spiritual gifts are awesome and using them is a part of our responsibility as a church today, but it must be done in the right spirit, a spirit of grace. And that's what he says in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. God richly blesses us here with this incredible uh, reminder that as though we have different gifts, we're to use these gifts and different strengths in the spirit of love and grace. So let's talk real quickly about the different strengths or gifts that God lists here in Romans chapter 12. And he mentions these in other places in the Bible, but we're just going to deal with Romans 12 because it's here. And there's two different types of gifts that are mentioned. There's a permanent and a temporary. And so uh, what I mean by that is there are some that are still among us today. There are some gifts that the Holy Spirit gave uh, to the early church, the apostles, and some of those during that time that no longer are in in use today. And so uh, we're going to talk about those different ones, but I'm going to deal first off with those permanent ones, the ones that we still see that God uses and God blesses us with uh, in the church today. And the first one is that of ministry. And so look in, in, the, in verse number 7. It says, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. So he mentions ministry here. This is a gift possessed universally among Christians. Do you know God called us to minister to one another? You know, it, some, some people may be more gifted and more naturally uh, disposed to, to be able to minister to others, but God, God literally says, listen, I've given you a gift, and this is the gift of ministry, and I promise you, you have it today. And God calls you to use that ministry uh, to help and encourage those around you. And, and that's going to look differently uh, to different people. You know, uh, brother, uh, brother Corwin, I'm looking for him. He's probably helping in our security team. Brother Corwin is a great, great guy, and he and I sat down this week, and we talked about car care ministry stuff, and as we were talking, I was reminded, he has a gift of ministry, loves to serve people, and he does so through caring for those things. What a great, great thing. And so I, I, I was looking up, and I saw Sharon Vandiver. Sharon Vandiver's got a great gift of ministry. She loves to minister to other people, doesn't she? Hers is through food. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So we're grateful for this gift of ministry. It is a blessing to each other. And it can look different for different people. But I'm grateful that when we say, you know, God's called me to minister, I'm going to do it. And so the next one that he lists here, he says, He that teacheth on teaching. Teaching is considered a major gift. Wouldn't you agree? How important is it to come to church or to come uh, and, and receive good biblical spiritual training and teaching? I think that it is a foundational thing. And during the time of the early church, it was crucial because there was not the completed uh, canon for them to go back to and say, well, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul and, and Peter even had disputes over certain things. And they didn't have the, the, uh, the completed canon to go back to. The Holy Spirit was still using prophets at that time to help uh, write all these, these things down. And so as we consider this, teaching is still was important then, but it's still important today. And we need to be in good biblical teaching, don't we? We need to be able to to be in a place where we can uh, absorb teaching. But if God's given you the gift of teaching, let me encourage you to be involved in teaching other people. And it doesn't, you know, you can use that gift in great uh, variety of capacities. And I just encourage you, be involved in serving one another. A spirit, a servant's spirit today. The next one he talks about is verse number 8. He says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Differing from teaching, this is really what I would say uh, the practical application of all that we've learned. 
And, and really, it come, carries with it this idea of encouragement. It carries with it the idea of comfort. It carries with it the idea of admonishment and so much more. And so when we think about someone who's gifted with the exhortation, it can be helping people not only just to understand and hear the truth, but to apply the truth. And not just apply the truth, but maybe when somebody's down, to come along beside them and say, man, I understand what you're going through. Let me pray with you that God will encourage you and strengthen you in the midst of this valley. You know, every one of us can uh, have been blessed by someone with a ministry of exhortation. You know, when we go through different valleys or different trials in our life, when someone has this gift and they come along beside you, you know it. And you're blessed by it. The next one he lists here in verse number 8 is, He that giveth... Let him do it with simplicity. Listen, we're all called to be part of giving, but I'm not, uh, I'm not going to negate the fact that there are some people who are naturally uh, more disposed to give to others than, than, than other people. What a blessing this is. And, you know, we see that even Gary Chapman recognized that in his book, uh, The Five Love Languages, as he, said, as he recognized that some people interpret love by what they receive from other people. And as a result, they're disposed to give gifts to, to people around them. What a blessing it was just a few weeks ago as, as my mom texted me this, this picture of this little cross, and she said uh, one of the ladies in our church sent her a gift. It was, it was something small, but it meant so much to her. You know, that ministry of giving, that ministry of being a blessing, that is something that, that is, is used in a great way by God. And let me just encourage you, the Bible says use it in, with simplicity. Don't, don't be uh, trying to put, uh, put parameters on it, but just say, listen, I want to give this, I want to be a blessing, I want to just let the Lord use me in some small way. I like this next one, he says, And he that ruleth with diligence. We think about ruling, we're, we're not, he's not talking about there's no kings in the church, isn't there? Is there? We're grateful for that, but we're talking about some, certain people had the gift of administration. Um, I think of Brother Terry when I think of this gift. How many years he's been involved in uh, Christian schools of Springfield, now Baptist Bible College, and other areas where God has given him that gift of being able to administrate in, in times where it was greatly needed. You know, each of us, this is really just being able to be used of God to, be, to lead others. And so as we consider this, uh, he says to do it with diligence. Make sure that you're uh, aware and, and of all that's going on and make sure that you give. Uh, give due diligence where, where it is required. The last one here is mercy. He that, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy, this gift is related to the sick and the afflicted in the Bible. And many who might fall within the sphere of even needing uh, some encouragement in their life. And so, with, <coughs> excuse me, we think about mercy, and mercy is a great blessing, especially in our time of greatest need. How many uh, folks have shared with us their own struggles and our own, their own uh, trials that they've been through? Yesterday we had a great time, a great lunch with our widows and widowers, being able to encourage them. Listen, Valentine's Day is not easy and it's not fun for everybody, is it? And during this time where, where, where they're remembering things that they've let go of, I tell you what, we need people with the spirit of mercy, that, that, the gift of mercy to come along beside and say, listen, I know that you're going through a difficult time. Let me remind you that we love you and may God bless you greatly during this time. What a great ministry of mercy. It's greatly needed. Listen, that wasn't the only ones that he mentioned here. Looking back in verse number 6 with me. It says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto to us, whether prophecy, uh, prophecy let us prophesy according to proportion of faith. 
Let me deal real quick in, with, this, with the truth of the doctrine that not all spiritual gifts are still uh, used of God today. Uh, there is, uh, again, Satan has used the spiritual gifts just like he did in the first church, in, in, or excuse me, in the church in Corinth to bring division. There's, again, division that's evident in our churches today regarding spiritual gifts, isn't there? Uh, matter of fact, some people come out so boldly and they say, you cannot even be saved until you speak in tongues. I'm sorry, but the Bible doesn't teach that. Just the opposite, as a matter of fact. It, <coughs> excuse me, in Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he deals with this, and he talks about, you know what, the gift of tongues is even the least of, of, the, uh, of the gifts. And so we, we deal with this, and we, we look at this. I want to remind you that if you look in your Bible, there are three times in, in history, in biblical history, that we see that there have been notable periods of great miracles that are recorded. The three times that, are, that, are, that we're thinking about is the period of Moses. When Moses was uh, on the backside of the wilderness, God uh, brought him from, from the backside of the wilderness where essentially he was in exile and brought him into Egypt and he had to speak before Pharaoh and speak before the children of Israel. And he was uh, essentially an unknown figure uh, who, who knows what he looked like, honestly. Uh, you know, maybe he looked uh, like the 1970s version of the Ten Commandments. Uh, what was his name? Charlton Heston? Maybe he looked like that. I don't know. In my mind, when I read that, that's what I think of, Charlton Heston. But when we think, of, when we think about uh, that period of Moses, you know, people may not have had full confidence in him. And I would bet that, uh, that, that Pharaoh didn't have full confidence in Moses. But when he came to this point, God used the miracles that we see over and over again for a purpose in, in, this, uh, in this instance. The miracles performed witness to his office as a prophet and as a leader, and he caused the people to accept his messages that they were from God. You know, this was an important point in, the, in biblical history, and God used these miracles in a great and mighty way. The second period was that of Elijah. Do you remember Elijah and Elisha, uh, how uh, incredibly God used them? And when Elijah was on the uh, top of Mount Carmel, he called down fire from heaven. What a great visible sign. But also, he, was, he prayed and it didn't rain for over three years in Israel. What, what a great sign. But then Elisha also, he walked across uh, uh, the river on dry, on dry ground. He, we saw people raised from the dead. We saw all kinds of incredible miracles. Why in the world was it during this period that God used, uh, used their miracles? Israel during this time was, during, was involved in a great time of apostasy. And they needed to be brought back into the truth of God's Word. And so Elijah and Elisha were given the opportunity to perform miracles in an unusual way. And they were able to, uh, to be able to testify that they were witnesses for the Lord. And so it was an opportunity for people to draw back to the Lord. Listen, that these were specific instances where we see uh, many, many miracles performed at a time. The last time, the third time, was during the time of Jesus Christ and the apostles. During this time, we see, well, again, where there was a need for miracles because God was, was bringing a great change, wasn't He? He was bringing a, a, a new testament, is what Hebrews says. There was, an, uh, there was something that had to happen that would uh, bring a, a, a new a doctrine, a new time where people could grow in the truth. And so, during this time, again, Christ had a special need for miracles to witness to His person that He truly was God, to give proper credentials uh, that He was the Messiah. And in the case of the apostles, that they would demonstrate that their gospel message was a message from God. 
All three of these instances we see were God used in a, in a great way. But listen, they were an unusual display of miracles. They weren't the norm. It is not an ordinary feature of each generation. It is to be called down. It's not something that's going to be called down at will, even by the godly that follow Jesus Christ. But it is rather articulated in the purpose of God for value and promotion of His truth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter eight with, or chapter thirteen and verse number eight. First Corinthians chapter thirteen and verse number eight. He had just got done in, in the middle of this discourse on uh, the different spiritual gifts, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, all it talks about it here. But chapter 13 and verse number 8, he says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, what does it say? They shall fail. Whether there be tongues, what does it say? They shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is, in, is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Listen, when we received the Word of God, it was complete in its completed form. We no longer had need for the different sign gifts. We now have the Word of God, which, listen, it is the purpose of God to re reveal Himself today through the Word of God, rather than beyond the Word of God. And so... Chapter to Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Let me remind you here that there, the need for the prophetic gift in the, prof, uh, in the apostolic period was evident. They had no Word of God. They had no Bible. But listen, today we have the completed Word of God in our hands, and we no longer need, and the, God no longer gives the Spirit and the gift of prophecy. All right, good. Three of us agree today. The rest of you, I'm hoping, are just cold. But listen, there's great, great uh, uh, schism among churches today regarding this truth. And it's important as a church that we, as we gather together this morning, that we look at Romans chapter 12 and we see that, that there are gifts, spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives. But let me remind you that these, these gifts are for a purpose, and that's to bring a spirit of unity in the body of Jesus Christ today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 3, This is the purpose of the prophesying, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He reminds us that, that, that its purpose was to strengthen other people. God gives us his, our gifts for a purpose, and it's to strengthen the, the body of Christ today. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me, verses 24 and 25. The Bible talks a lot about the body of Christ. And I'm just going to give you a few uh, from the Word of God about what God encourages us regarding exhortation, regarding edification, regarding the body of Christ, and working together to see the glory of God revealed in our midst. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And he, so here he, he lays out for us, listen, the purpose of the body of Christ is to encourage one another, to provoke one another to love and good works, to exhort one another. And listen, he didn't say stop when you see the Christ day approaching, but he said increase it. Continue. And so let me encourage you today, Hillside. Let's continue and, and with even more fervor to use our spiritual gifts to encourage one another in the Lord today and strengthen one another. Listen, the church is, is not a social club. 
The church is a place that is a hospital for the sinner. And it's a place of encouragement for the saints. And I want to encourage you this morning, as we look at the Word of God and we see Romans chapter 12, that God is calling to us, use the gift that is given you with the spirit of, of a servant. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. The words that we use, that, you know, when we pass each other through the hall, the words that we use should be words of encouragement to one another. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, look at this one. It says, Let no corrupt com communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Man, let's use our conversation in a great way. Let's be willing to say, God, I want to use my mouth for your glory today. Man, what, a, what an incredible thing that we could do. Not just when we sing songs, but when we interact with one another, when we post things on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it may be. Man, if only our president could get a, get a hold of that, amen? But if we, could, if we could gather around and say, listen, my words are going to be the words that promote God and not self. Whether we gather, the songs we sing, the preaching we hear, the prayers that we lift up to heaven, God intends to be a help and encouragement so that more people can know Christ, so that more people can be strengthened by Him. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26. In the midst of all this corruption that was going on, he says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you have a psalm. Every one of you, excuse me, uh, every one of you have a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. He said, look, there was so much confusion in the church. Nobody knew what was going on. He says, let's use all of these things together for the glory of the Lord. So the purpose of our church is to love the Lord, isn't it? Amen. The purpose of our church is to grow together and then to serve other people. I, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of choosing to, to serve one another. And Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us of this truth. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors uh, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We consider Ephesians chapter 4 today, and we see that the purpose there is so that we can be strengthened together in the Word of God. We can be strengthened together as a body of Christ when we say, you know what, I'm going to serve with a servant spirit, and I'm going to do it with all my heart and all my passion. I'm just, Lord, I'm just going to give you my very best today. Man, what a difference it can make for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When you accept Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells us that there is a gift that's given you. I don't know what it is, but I'll tell you, some people get so enamored with this spiritual gift that they forget just to serve God where they're at. A common problem for Christians is the temptation to get so caught up in your spiritual gift that you only seek to serve God in the area where you feel like you've been gifted. Let me remind you, that's not how spiritual gifts work. God calls us to obediently serve Him in all things. He, he will equip us with whatever gift or gifts we need to accomplish a task He's called us to. And so this morning, as we, as we consider this, I want to just encourage you from the Word of God that you'd be willing to strengthen others, to serve one another with this, with this uh, spiritual gifts, no matter what it may be, but it may be served with strength. Strength to serve one another and the strength of the Holy Spirit as we go out and serve together. There's two more points. I don't know if, I'm, if you'll... Can I have time this morning? They're not as long as the first one, I promise. I wanted to deal with an important doctrine. 
Because it's important that as a church we grow in the truth and understanding of God's Word. Because sometimes what happens is we hear all these things out here and we begin to get soft in some of these areas of doctrine and we think, well, maybe tongues isn't so bad or well, maybe prophecy really still is out there. But let me remind you this morning that the Word of God is plain, that those things shall cease, they shall pass. But today the Word of God, because of the Word of God and the truth of it, we can stand sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do. So let's serve together with singleness. And what I'm, what I'm, what I'm not talking about your marriage status. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What I'm talking about is unity. Man, to, to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to use my spiritual gift in a spirit of unity because what happened in that Corinthian church is they said, you know what, I, I speak in tongues. Well, I interpret. Well, I have the gift of prophecy. And they were trying to decide what was the most important thing. And the truth be told that God says that none of those things are as important as having love and unity. And let me just encourage you this morning that we have a singleness of purpose. Purpose matters, doesn't it? You know, being able to, to know why we exist and, and what God has placed us here for is an important thing. In the, uh, right after Jesus Christ had died and He rose again and He had appeared to the disciples on a few times, we find in John chapter number 21, we find that the apostles uh, were struggling with their purpose. Jesus wasn't there to lead them on a day-by-day -day basis. The Holy Spirit had not yet come, and they found them, themselves uh, aimlessly wondering, if you will. Just, just not sure what they're supposed to do. And so John chapter 21 reveals to us what happened when they didn't have a purpose. Look at verses number 2 and 3. John 21, 2 and 3, it says, Then were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael uh, of Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two of his other, uh, and two of his other, excuse me, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, We also go with thee. In the middle of their boredom, in the middle of their aimless wandering and drifting, guess what? They didn't stay resolute, steadfast, on their knees, following after the Lord. Instead, what they did was they drifted back to, back to the old life. And if we forget our purpose as a church, guess what we'll do? We're going to drift. We're going to drift back to the old life. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not satisfied with drift at Hillside. I want to see our church continue to stay focused on the, the purpose that God has given us. Everyone has a sense of purpose. Without it, we lose our way. We become de uh, demotivated. We become depressed. And even studies have shown that when uh, people are contributing to a, a higher purpose, they are likely to be, have a healthier outlook on life and be more resilient to stress. Listen, we have a great purpose today. We have a great purpose that God is calling us to. And the purpose of the church in Acts 1.8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We have a great purpose today, don't we? Continue to be that witness. Continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the entire world as Jesus Christ left us in Matthew 28. So, let's fulfill that purpose together with singleness in our purpose, singleness among the brethren. In Acts chapter number 4, if, we look, if you look with me Acts chapter number 4, the early church experienced some uh, great unity, didn't they? And Acts 4 is evident of that. They had thousands saved. They had people just coming to the Lord. It was a great time in the early church, but it was not without problems. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 32, it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them, that ought of the things um, which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common.
and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Listen, as the early church works together for a common goal, we see that everything, all those other things that were maybe preferences or all those things, they took a back seat to seeing the purpose of the church fulfilled. But what happened in Acts chapter 6? Remember Acts chapter 6? Some of the widows were neglected in the daily ministration, and there began the first, just that first inkling of problems in the church. That first church wasn't perfect, right? And so they're, they're not, it's not that we're, we're trying to copy everything they did, but we want to learn from them as they learned from Christ. And they were led and used greatly of the Lord, and so we want to follow as much as we can. But listen, even in Acts chapter 6, the church lacked unity when it got its, uh, focused on itself rather than focusing on the purpose that God left it. Let's continue to strive together for unity. When I was in college, um, the late uh, Dr. James Sewell, how many of y'all had Dr. Dr. Sewell? Or you knew him. He was a nut, wasn't he? I loved him as a freshman. Man, I got into his classes and I'd get into his class and he was just a, just a crazy guy. I just enjoyed him so much. But I remember one day he said, where two Baptists are gathered in a room, at least three opinions abide therein. And there's, a tr- there's truth in that, isn't there? We're all very opinionated. And so it is striving together, having unity does not come naturally. And so we must choose to say, you know what? I, issues of preferences are not that important. But issues of doctrine, we will never waver on. We must stand upon the Word of God together. And we must stay united behind the Word of God as our only source not only for doctrine, but also for instruction in righteousness and practice today. Unity is vital, isn't it? And I believe that when we are distracted by personality differences, excuse me, maybe preferences or other issues that don't matter in eternity, then we find that we spend more time focused on infighting rather than fighting the real enemy. What purpose in your home? Sometimes uh, it's a good practice for homes and, and families to sit down and say, what do we exist for? Why is our family together? You know, uh, what is the purpose of our family being together? I remember one pastor I was talking to, he shared with me. He said, our family exists to have fun. And I thought, well, that's kind of silly. But then I got to thinking about it some more, and I thought, you know what? But if we're having fun fulfilling the work of God, what a great purpose. Man, my kids enjoy working for the Lord. My kids will enjoy being with their family. Man, having fun is a great, uh, great addition to the, really the, uh, the great purpose of bringing glory to His name. And so the last thing I want to share with you this morning, very briefly, is that God has called us to serve in sincerity. You notice in our world, it seems like we are more and more enamored by entertainment. We've got amusement parks, which literally means do not think places. We, we have places uh, that uh, their, their main goal is just to entertain, to distract us. But let me remind you that God has called us to sincerity. Sincerity of hearts. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 and, uh, 14 and 15, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, he says, choose, the word, uh, choose to serve sincerely the Lord. And so we think about the word sincerely. It in, in, in indicates the need to completely give yourself to something. You know, as, uh, when I was a kid, I learned uh, in formal letter, letter writing in elementary school to sign at the bottom, sincerely, John. And, and I didn't always understand the word. I just knew how to spell it and I knew the, where to use it, right? But it's saying essentially, everything that's contained in this letter, I believe it, I'm given completely to it. And if we could really learn to sincerely serve, what a difference that would make. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity literally is purity. In the Bible, it's used in referring to purity of motive. And when your motive of service is not right, it's noticed literally by those around you. You, you ever notice when your child, uh, you tell them, would you take out the trash? And they stomp off in there and they grab that trash can and rip it out of the trash can and they take it out. What? I don't think the motive is exactly right there. We kind of notice, don't we? Or maybe, maybe your daughter comes up to you after she washed the dishes and said, Dad, I got all the dishes washed. Isn't that exciting? And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Great. Thank you so much. Can I take the car? That motive may not have been completely pure, right? They had an ulterior motive. Maybe they were using a little bit of manipulation there. But listen, when we serve God and we serve others, let's do so with a pure motive. Not selfishly, not, not for selfish gain, but instead with a pure motive. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira learned, didn't they? Listen, when they served with, a, with an impure motive, it cost them their life. Serve with sincerity today. During uh, ancient times, uh, we learned about unscrupulous workmen. And boy, they build these, especially in Corinth, they had these beautiful marble uh, buildings. And, and they would be great edifices. And, and, and sometimes those workmen were in such a hurry that to take that marble and to polish it down and make it really shine took a lot of work and a lot of time. And so they learned that what they could do, they could get the same effect if they took wax and they rubbed it into the rough edges of those marble columns. And they would rub this wax in these rough edges and then puff out that wax. It'd save them tons of time. But guess what happened the first hot day that hit that wax? It was gone. And what they were left was a shoddy work on the outside. And let me encourage you that there's going to be times where we're, we're tempted to serve without sincerity. But let's do so. Let's serve God with sincerity of truth. Sincerity in the, that creates unity. Sincerity that helps us to serve with strength. This morning, I want to leave you one last example and we're done. John chapter 13, would you look in your Bible with me? The servant of servants, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the God of God. Let me, let me, let me just remind you that Jesus Christ, when He came to this earth, he, doesn't, he didn't come in arrogance, but He came in humility. He displayed this in such a real and tangible way in John chapter 13 before, uh, before they enjoyed the Last Supper, before He shared uh, the, the, the discourse of John chapter 14, 15, and 16, before he, he prayed for His disciples, before He was taken to the cross, before all of those things. We read John chapter 13 and verse number 4. He riseth from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and girded Himself. 
And after that, he poured water into, uh, into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all uh, clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also, or excuse me, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, I love this, happy are ye if you do them. Christ is calling us today. Will you, will you have a servant spirit? Will you put on the, take the, the towel, the, the servant's towel, and, and take that servant's wash basin and go and serve one another and say, because of what Christ has done for me, let me be a blessing to you.